Hello, this is Peter the producer. Everyone's been busy this week, and so we didn't get a chance to record. Well, we did get a chance to record, but then the tornado sirens started going off at the studio, so... It's a constant just gloating over others. It's a constant, ha-ha, see, I gotcha. It's, it's, uh, it's uh, people you might use the wrong word, and then it's... Okay. Now we've got sirens going on. Yeah, now we got sirens. <laughs> you're bigger to stand outside. All right. If you see me fly by the window, <laughs> take cover. So, um, I should call my wife quick. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're gonna pause here. Everything was fine. We didn't get hit with a tornado, but we figured uh, we better go home to our families and. Uh, Make sure everybody was doing okay. So, in lieu of a regular episode this week, we have Pastor Berg doing a 12 minutes on unbaptized babies. Enjoy. Welcome to the Clerical Errors Podcast. I'm Pastor Berg, and this is a 12-minute section on babies who die apart from the gift of holy baptism. This is a topic which is near and dear to my heart. As some of you know, my daughter, Mary Ellen, was born prematurely and died the same day. Her mother had the clarity of mind to baptize our little girl while she was still alive, and I will be forever thankful to her for being such a good mother. But what about those babies who die in the womb? What about miscarriages? It often happens that devout parents, particularly the wives, suffer agony and heartbreak in childbearing when despite their best intentions and against their will, there was a premature birth or miscarriage and their child died at birth or was born dead. What about children who don't have access to the divine benefits of holy baptism? There are some, unfortunately, who taught that unbaptized infants would be damned. Dante Alighieri, in his famous poem, The Divine Comedy, taught that limbo, technically the first circle of hell, included virtuous non-Christian adults in addition to unbaptized infants. These souls would not see God, but they would not suffer any punishment either. And the Roman Catholic Church still teaches that limbo is a possible theological hypothesis. But what do we know from sacred scripture? First, we know that babies are sinners in need of a Savior. Babies die because they are sinners. Death is a direct result of sin. As Romans 6.23 says, the wages of sin is death. I know and believe this. My daughter died because she was a sinner. We also know that there is no age of accountability. Obviously, infants are held accountable for their sins. Otherwise, they would not suffer deformity or death. In short, infants are not innocent. They are enemies of God and children of wrath until the Holy Spirit creates faith in them. But why does God take some infants and spare others? Why, after every possible care had been taken, does God not allow a child to be born alive and to be baptized? We don't know. We can't know. And we ought not to know the hidden judgment of God in such a case. These things are beyond us. But these mothers who suffer such things should calm themselves and have faith that God's will is always better than ours. 
though it may seem otherwise to us. Parents should be confident that God is not angry with them or with others who are involved. Another point which we can take comfort in is this. God has not limited his power to the sacraments, but he has made a covenant with us through his word. God is free. While he has bound himself to his word and to his sacraments for the sake of our certainty, he can do what he wills. But this is not by itself a comfort. Just because God can do something, it doesn't mean that he will do something. And so we must go to the scriptures for answers. The best example of this is found in 2 Samuel chapter 12. After his adultery with Bathsheba, the prophet Nathan delivers the Lord's consequences to David concerning his sin. There are a few which will happen in the future, like the rebellion of Absalom. But one very poignant consequence of his sin will be that David's newborn son would die. By divine revelation, we know that David's sin directly caused the death of his son. But is that always the case? Many mothers feel guilt when their babies die in the womb. They feel like they've done something to deserve this punishment. But that cannot be said. We have no word of God which says that you, like David, caused the death of your son. On the contrary, mothers with stillborn infants can take John 9, 2 and 3 to heart. And Jesus' disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, Neither this man nor his parents sinned, but that the works of God should be revealed in him. When David receives this news, he prayed hard for the life of his son. He fasted, he wept, he laid on the ground all night, and yet his son still died. But that's not the only heartbreak here. David's son didn't have a name in the reading because he wasn't circumcised yet. Why else would it say that on the seventh day it came to pass that the child died? Circumcision was the sacrament of the Old Testament, and that is when the children would receive their name. This child didn't receive circumcision, which is the sign of the covenant. And yet, look at the change in David when he learned that his son was dead. It says that David arose from the ground, washed and anointed himself, and changed his clothes. And he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and when he requested, they set food before him, and he ate. Well, don't you usually mourn for a child after they are dead, and not before? But this shows David's great faith and trust in the effectiveness of prayer. Listen to David's wonderful confession. While the child was alive, I fasted and wept, for I said, Who can tell whether the Lord will be gracious to me, that the child may live? Our God listens to prayer. Jesus commands us to pray, and he promises that he will hear us. Jesus prays for us before the Father's throne. Read Romans 8, verses 26 and 27, and also Ephesians 3:20. Our God listens to our prayer because Jesus fulfilled all righteousness for our sake. At his baptism, our Lord Jesus was anointed by the Holy Spirit for a threefold office of prophet, priest, and king. And at his baptism, our Lord began his trek toward another baptism, of which he speaks of in Luke 20, 12, 50. But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am until it is accomplished. That baptism that Jesus experienced, that second baptism, was not a baptism of water. It was a baptism of blood. In that baptism, Jesus was dipped, not in water, but in the fire of God's wrath and displeasure. That baptism of Jesus was, com was accomplished on the cross at Calvary. 
It was that baptism which only the Son of God could undergo for our sakes. And it was that baptism that gave us the right to pray to God and to ask him for his favor and to be confident that he will truly hear our prayer. We pray because, as the Apostle James says, the effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. While David's prayer concerning the physical life of his son wasn't granted, David had complete and utter confidence that God gave his son eternal life. And we can hear those in David's words when he says, Can I bring him back again? I shall go to him, but he shall not return to me. There is a hymn translated by Matthew Carver, which says it better than I ever could. It says, The infant son of David died before his circumcision, though much the king for mercy cried, denied was his petition. When David yearned to go as well, it was not to the flames of hell, but to the joy of heaven. Second Samuel 12 teaches us quite a bit. It teaches us about the consequences of sin. It teaches us about faith and prayer. It teaches us about children who died before receiving the sacrament, either of circumcision or of baptism. And it teaches us that we do have a great promise in prayer. God promises to hear us. Of that we can be sure and certain. And this is why it is important that when husbands and wives find out that they are pregnant, that they should tell their pastor and their families. And this isn't for gossip's sake. But tell them so that they too might pray for the unborn child, because God hears prayers. We know that not all children survive. And while you cannot give them the promise of baptism at that point, we can rely on God's promise, which he does attach to prayer. And if, God forbid, your unborn child does die, let us bury that child with all Christian pomp and honor. Let us comfort you with God's word. Let us pray that God would comfort you who mourn. And let us bury that child next to all the saints who have gone before us. You don't have to hide it. You don't have to suffer alone. You don't have to pretend like the child never existed. He or she did exist. He or she did have a soul and has a soul. He or she is still a person and with Jesus. Don't hide, but let the church help you heal. The will of God is always best, even when we don't understand it. And so, let us take comfort where God has constrained us. He has constrained us with the command and the promise to pray. Thank you for listening. If you like what you hear or have questions, please contact us through email or through our Facebook page. I'm Pastor Berg, and this has been Clerical Errors. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast. On Twitter, at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.